0: Amen. Let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a storm? Now, I'm not talking about the storm with the weather. I'm talking about a storm of circumstances. You know, uh, when, when things come together in just such a way that it becomes a storm or it's a bad thing. It's kind of like the perfect storm in the natural when the, the cold front meets the warm front and then the, the turbulence and the atmosphere becomes volatile and it becomes a storm. When situations of life meet in just such a way that it seems like there's no hope of finding a solution and you seem to be completely overcome. Anybody ever been in that kind of storm? I'm sure we all have been. So when you're in a storm, it's time to throw out an anchor. Here's here's how it goes. Hebrews 6.19 says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. The Bible here is talking about that that our hope is an anchor of our souls. It's an anchor of our souls that enables us to overcome the treachery of the storm, to stay stable no matter what the storm is to our soul. The problem with storms like that is that they are very emotional. They're very much a part of the soul. Our soul is, of course, our mind, our will, and our emotions— When we get in a storm, the mind runs this way and that way, trying to find a way in the flesh to be rescued. In a storm, our emotions are carried by whatever thought comes our way. We need to have an anchor. I love that verse. It says, which hope we have as an anchor. What is the hope? If you read that that whole passage in Hebrews 4, it's talking about two immutable things. It's talking about, it's talking about the, the, the oath of God and the promise of God. The oath of God is whatever has been ratified by the blood. Because the oath was ratified in blood. The promise of God is God's word. Those are two things that will never change. Amen. When the scripture talks about two immutable things in that passage, it's talking about the oath and the promise. The blood and the word. And I'm going to tell you whatever the blood says is true. Whatever the word says is true. The scripture says that the blood speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. The blood speaks of redemption. The blood speaks of forgiveness. The blood of Abel spoke of condemnation and judgment. The word is true forever and we know that. It says, our anchor then is that the word of God is sure. (coughs) that passage says that, that God cannot lie. His word is sure and, and everything according to the promise comes to pass. It, it said before that that Jesus entered within the veil offering his own blood for our rescue. That's the anchor. Whatever, whenever we enter a trial, whatever, whatever the devil throws at us, the anchor is his blood and his word. We can always bank on that. I heard a story of an old sea captain. He was quizzing a young naval student, and he and he said, Young man, what steps would you take if a sudden storm came up on the starboard? And the young man said, I'd throw out an anchor, sir. He said, Well, what would you do if another storm sprang up aft? And he said, I'd throw out another anchor, sir. And he said, But what if another storm sprang up forward? Well, I'd just throw out another anchor, sir. And the the the, the, the captain said, Just a minute, son. Where are you getting all those anchors? <laughs> and he said... From the the same place you're getting your storms. (laughs) I want you to know as many storms as the devil throws at us, whatever he throws at us, there is an anchor for our soul. And we can rest assured that the anchor is in the blood and in the Word. In the blood and in the Word. We've been reading this scriptures for the past several weeks out of, out of Mark chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. Jesus comes off the Mount of, of Transfiguration. They're trying to cast the devil out of a, of a boy. And they can't seem to get the devil out of the boy. And you know the story probably. And, and when, when, when Jesus comes, he says, he, this is my paraphrase, he says, well, what's the problem? They say, the guy says, my, de- my son has a demon. It, it, it throws him down and tries to kill him. And your, your disciples couldn't get him out. And then the guy says, but, he's talking to Jesus, but if you can do anything, Isn't that that a great prayer? Talking to Jesus, but if you can do anything. I think I've prayed that prayer before. (laughs) God, if you can just do something here. If you can do anything. The guy says, if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, you say to me, if you can do anything, why all things are possible to him that believes. That's such a powerful statement. Christians are all the time saying, God, if you can just do something. And God is saying, if I can do something, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Listen, when we're in a storm, if that storm is caused by the devil, or if it's even just caused by my own foolishness, I need supernatural help. I need God to rescue me. I need God to do something about my storm. And it takes a miracle for that to happen. Listen, the devil bring storms into our lives in order to get us to trust into something other than God's word. He wants to take our eyes off of what God has said. The devil wants us to get someone else to be our source rather than God. I mean, he wants us to trust the government. He wants us to trust the church. He wants us to trust Anyone that we can trust, the devil wants us to take our eyes off of God. He brings storms because I'm telling you, the devil is almost absolutely convinced that if he'll bring storms often enough that we will quit on God. I mean, he's doing his best to make us quit. You, you know, we may be in a storm. We may think we can never get out of the problem or we'll never be happy again. But here is some great advice. Never quit on God. Amen. Stay with him. So we've been talking about the supernatural. Jesus said that it takes belief in the promise. When he, said, when he, when he, tells, him, when he tells the man, he, he says, if you can believe, he's talking about believe the promise, believe the word. If you can believe what God has said, all things are possible to the one who can believe God. All right? So that, That's what he's talking about. He's saying that we need to believe the promise more than we believe in the storm. More than we believe in this circumstance to see the impossible become possible. We've talked about lots of things over the weeks. uh, And then I've realized tonight there are some subjects I probably could have included in this series. Could have talked about prayer and praying in the Spirit. I'll tell you, if you're in the middle of a storm or you need need a miracle, you need to be praying in the Spirit to get the mind of God. We need to be praying. We need to to trust God and obey God. But I want us to think about something here this evening. No matter what we're facing, And you may have been in this storm before. You've done everything that the Bible tells you to do. I mean, you've done everything that the Holy Spirit has instructed you to do. You've prayed in English. You've prayed in the Spirit. You've been faithful. You've been walking in love. You're staying in faith. And it just seems like the thing isn't breaking. Let me just say, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Whatever you do, don't forget to factor in the anointing. Never forget the anointing. The impossible becomes possible as we believe and we give room for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is absolutely essential. Last week, we talked about the Jesus way. We found out that the Jesus way was not always like the Christian way that we follow today. We found out that Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. He only said what he heard the Father say. And that Jesus didn't do it the way that many preachers would do it today. And we found out that Jesus never had a ministry failure. Everything he did succeeded because he only did what the Father said. And only did what the Father told him to do. We've got to do it the Jesus way. He had to hear the Father and he had to depend upon the anointing. Now here's a great passage of scripture that you ought to put in your arsenal. Acts chapter 10 verse 38. It says, How God... Anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I like that. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Je- what Jesus did was a result of the power of. Of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All that he did. I want you to notice what the anointing does. The anointing does good. And the anointing heals all. If it's not good, it's not the anointing. If it is good, it's the anointing. So I want us to look at that just a moment. So what is the anointing? How does that even work? I want to look at three passages to begin with. You know I'm going to look at more than that, but I'm going to start with three. (laughs) Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. This is a great passage, and I know you've heard it before. The Bible says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. This thing we're getting ready to talk about is made manifest to the saints. Verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's break this down just a little bit. It, it, it talks about the word glory here in this passage. The word glory in the Greek language is the Greek word doxa. All right? The word it, from the Greek to the English is not even really translatable. What, what, what the Greek word says is much more intense than the English words can identify. We use this word glory, and, you know, if you've ever been around many preachers, glory to God, glory. Well, what does that even mean? I'm fortunate to have a son who questioned everything. <laughs> and he would ask me, he, he would say one day, I said, glory to God. And he said, what does that mean? Glory to God. Well, it made me have to think about some things. So what is glory? Because this is talking about Christ in me is the hope of glory. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Glory is basically the intersection of God's will and God's power. It's like they meet together and glory happens. It, we call it manifest glory. I mean, as I said, English doesn't really have a word that goes with it. All right. It, it, the Bible talks about that this glory is reserved For the saints. Those verses we just read. It says it's been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. That's us, right? We are the saints of God. Now, we haven't been canonized by the Catholic Church, but we are the saints of God. All right? We are born again. We are the saints of God. All right? You and I. I like what this says. It says, and here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the word Christ, we're going to look at the Greek word here later, but it means the anointed one, or literally, the anointed. The anointed. In you is the hope of this intersection of God's will and God's power, the anointed in you. The Greek word refers to the anointed one, and it refers to the anointing he carries, the anointing he has. It's talking about the anointed one and his anointing. So the anointed one is in you, and the anointed one in you brings the manifestation of God's will and power to bear in all matters. That's good news. The anointing, the anointed one and his anointing in me, brings the manifestation of God's plan in all matters. Second passage. listen to this, First John chapter two, verse 20, and then we'll go to verse 27. Verse 20 says, "But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things." Now, first of all, that doesn't mean I know the square root of 71 when it says all things. Right. So I, need, I know all things that pertain to God's will and plan for my life. I have access to those things. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Verse 27, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Now, the word unction and the word anointing are the same Greek word. So I could say, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. But the unction which you have received of him abideth in you. So it's the same word. So here, it's interesting. It says, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. In you. We just read the verse, verses before. That Christ in me. Mm-hmm. The anointing in me. Christ in me. We have a supernatural anointing, anointing within us because the anointing lives in us. The anointing is already there. Third one. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now the word destroyed literally means to wind tightly as a rope, to bind specifically uh, to destroy or for someone to writhe in pain. The picture here painted in Isaiah ten twenty seven is that the anointing We get fed the anointing to the degree that our neck becomes so fat that the that the yoke is broken off of us because of the anointing. All right, it it it, it just can't stay on us, and so the burden is broken into pieces. The anointing causes the devil to writhe in pain because he can't keep the yoke around your neck. All right, so that's what happens. The anointing makes us too big for the yoke. Is what that's talking about. Now that we're talking about what is the anointing. Okay. The anointing. Then we know that Christ is the the word means the anointed. And in him that, that him in us is the hope of glory. We know that, that we have the anointing in us. We know that the anointing in us makes us too big for the yoke. <laughs> all right. That it can't stay on us. Okay. Let's look at another passage of scripture. This is in Zechariah chapter 4. We're talking about the miraculous. We want the supernatural to take place in our lives. And we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. And these are all familiar passages to us. We're going to read 1 through 7 here. It says, And the angel that talked to me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of all gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and a seven lampstands thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, the other upon the left side, side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked to me, saying, What are these, my lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, knowest, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my lord. He answered and spake to me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings crying, Grace, grace unto it. Now here's what I want us to see. Notice there are two olive trees that are are beside the candlestick, one on each side. The Amplified Bible reads verse 3 this way, And there are two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side of it, feeding it continuously with oil. The purpose of the olive trees is that they are feeding it. The candle flames were continually supplied with oil from a living source. This is a fantastic picture here, a living source. Verse six from the Amplified, it says, then he said to me, This addition of the bowl to the candlestick, causing it to yield a ceaseless supply of oil from the olive trees is the word of the Lord. To Zerubbabel, say, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, of whom the oil is the symbol, says the Lord of hosts. Mm. Uh, This is fun to me. The continual supply of oil is the Holy Spirit, referring to the anointing of the Lord. Mm. It's a continual supply. Where there's a continual supply of the Spirit, we can be sure that it's not by might nor by power, but by his Spirit. But that oil must be continually supplied. The Amplified says in verse 7, For who are you, O great mountain of human obstacles, before Zerubbabel? who with Joshua had led the, the return of exiles from Babylon and was undertaking the rebuilding of the temple before him. You shall become a plain, a mere molehill, and he shall bring forth the finishing gable of stone of the new temple with, a loud, with loud shoutings of the people crying, Grace, grace unto it. Here's what we've got to know about the anointing. The anointing will cause the mountains to become molehills in our path. As there's a continual supply of the anointing. The anointing will empower us to finish what the Lord has assigned us to do. It's the anointing that makes it happen. It releases God's powerful grace on our behalf. The anointing is important. Victory comes because of the anointing. Apart from the anointing, we don't win. The anointing brings the victory. Without the anointing, our home, our job, ministry, whatever it is, can't be the success it's supposed to be. Victory is not the product of education or skill set, knowledge, popularity, or crafty maneuvering. Continuous victory is the result of the continuous supply of oil. Man, this is, I like what the word is saying here. So, so what is the anointing then? What is it? Number one, it's not falling under the power. Man, <laughs> I mean, that used to be the end all, man, if we could just fall under the power. Though the anointing can cause the falling under the power. Anointing, the anointing is not the feeling. You know, when you get the goosebumps and, you know, we feel something. That's not necessarily the anointing. The anointing is this miraculous power of God on the inside of us that gives us the ability to accomplish the will of God in the earth as his grace is released through us. It's his miraculous ability on the inside. We will not accomplish his will apart from his anointing. And we will not have his anointing unless we're doing his will. Does that make sense? The anointing—this is my—this is the best way to talk about you it's, it's a sweatless victory. It is God on the inside doing it. It's—it's it's not enough. It's not enough to to walk, to talk, to read, to speak in tongues, carry your Bible around. We need the anointing. It's the anointing. Many focus on the outward displays, you know, the the, the chills, the falling down, all those things. No, the anointing is inward. It's on the inside of us. I always, I've always told people over the years, it's one thing to come to the front and fall under the power. But when you get up and there's no deliverance or freedom, you miss the anointing. Amen. You know, it's, it's really not how much you fall. It's how straight you walk when you get back up and the victory that you walk in. The anointing then isn't just for preachers. It's for all saints because the anointing abides in us. Now here we're going to get to some fun part here. How do we apply the anointing? How do we get that anointing? The word anointing, and you may already know this, it comes from from the Greek word krio, krio. We get the word charisma from that. And that word is often translated anointing because it comes from krio. Krio literally means in the Greek to smear or rub with oil, Mm -hmm. to smear or rub with oil. The root word is the word is kraomai, which means to furnish, what is needed or to employ. Okay, so the anointing is the smearing of the oil of the Holy Spirit upon us to furnish us with whatever is needed so that we can usefully be employed to get the job done. That is to accomplish the will of the Father, doing good and healing all. That's what the anointing does. In Bible times, there was this daily application of ointments or oils to the body and the head to those who could afford it. If you were rich, you got it every day. It was pure olive oil mixed with perfumes. The poorer people, they reserved the anointing for special occasions. Now, here's a great picture. We, the Bible says, we have a better covenant established upon better promises than the people of the Old Testament. Speaking of the anointing, the Old Testament saints are the poorer ones, and they were only able to apply the anointing on special occasions. New covenant believers are the wealthy ones who can continually apply the anointing from the supply of oil in our lives that we have every day because of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We can apply it every day. The word for anoint in Hebrew is mashach. We get the word Messiah from that word mashach. We also get the word anointed one talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Anointing refers to the Christ Christ. It refers to the Messiah. The New Testament Greek word, Kiro, is the root word for Christos, which is Christ. All of that is about the anointing. Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. <laughs> he is Jesus, the anointed one. Amen. Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Jesus, the Mashach. Jesus, the anointed. The word krio, the word, uh, it, 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 it talks about the smearing or rubbing of oil or the perfume upon an individual. When a patient came to see a doctor, because of sore muscles, the physician would pour oil into the palm of his hand and he would, with his own hands, begin to deeply rub oil into the sore muscles. It was penetrating application of oil and it was denoted by this word, hero. And so, talking about the anointing. When we think of the anointing, We need to begin to think about the anointer because it's the hands of the physician that make the application. Oil was so expensive in Bible times, it was rarely just poured onto someone. It was always poured into the hands and rubbed deeply into the skin of the one onto whom it was being applied. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is expensive because it is a hands-on situation in which the Father comes. To anoint us with the oil of the Spirit. It's the anointing. God himself is the great anointer. He fills his hands with the essence of the Spirit. He lays his mighty hands upon our lives pressing the Spirit's power and anointing ever deeper into us. It needs to be a daily operation where we come and allow him to anoint us. And when we speak of being anointed we're referring to the hand of God being on somebody. Have you ever say, oh, he's anointed. We're saying the hand of God is on Him because God rubbed it into Him. When we respond to the continual supply of oil, we're responding to and acknowledging the presence of the anointing that is the signal that lets us know that God's hand is personally resting on our lives. So, we need the miraculous. We need fresh oil. You know what? The church needs a fresh anointing. The anointing of the charismatic renewal has grown stale yeah. mm-hmm. and it's become mainstream. Mm-hmm. Believe me, man, I cut my teeth in the charismatic renewal. I think of the great days. But the old anointing has lost its wow. And it's imitated all over town. Mm-hmm. Today, today, You can go to the charismatic church and the church that preaches against speaking in tongues and the church that doesn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it may take you six months to figure out which one is which. Because they're all raising their hands. They all truly love the Lord, don't get me wrong. But where is the anointing? We want to find the anointing. We're not opposed to anyone, but we need a fresh anointing. Amen. The supernatural is void in many churches because there's no anointing. People are not being smeared or rubbed with oil anymore. Because because we've we've we, we, we've 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 become immune to it, so to speak. Listen to this. We need a fresh anointing. The Bible says in Psalm 92, verse 10, 10-11 says, "My horn, shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn, and I shall be anointed." with fresh oil. Horn of a unicorn means the excessive strength of a wild bull that has big horns. So let me read it again. My horn shall they exalt like the horn of a wild bull with big horns. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eyes shall also see the desire in my enemies and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. This is talking about what happens when there's the anointing present we'll see a desire on our enemy. It's not talking so much about love and power and light. It's talking about the devil. It's talking about lack, sickness, it's talking about defeat at the hands of the enemy. This is talking about getting victory in our lives. You know the scripture in the Old Testament says, don't touch the Lord's anointed. The reason it says that is because the anointing with fresh oil always sees the enemy defeated. And you don't want to touch somebody who's freshly anointed by the Holy Spirit. I mean. The the scripture teaches us we'll even hear of their secret plans. Verse 12 of that that passage says, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. The fresh anointing makes us flourish like a palm tree. The reason it says palm tree is because the, the palm tree is the last of all the trees to submit to harsh weather. You ever been to the beach? Mm-hmm. Palm trees. That's the harshest weather on the planet. Mm-hmm. And the palm tree is still flourishing there. No matter how harsh it gets. The cedar of Lebanon is the tallest tree in Lebanon. In the anointing, we moved to new heights. Here's what I want us to see, though. We bring forth fruit as long as we live Amen. with the anointing. Amen. Our time is never past. It's never over. We have it. We, we hear it said. Well, we got to let these young people do it now. Yes, we do. And no, we don't. Mm-hmm. There's still work for us to do. There's still there's still fruit to be born. I mean, our effectiveness in the kingdom will de- will never diminish. I'm here to say that our best days are not behind us because of the anointing. It will bring us abundance of fruit. It will bring us the things we've always dreamed for. Listen, I I know we need the supernatural. It's going to take the anointing. It's going to take a fresh anointing. There are those of us who've seen a fantastic move of God in the 60s and the 70s. It's time for some people to be alive to see a second one. Yes. in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, 90s, however old we may get to be, and still bear fruit in our old age. We need the anointing. We need to call for it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight we make the declaration that the anointing is in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory, the intersection of your will and your power, your glory in us. We have a living anointing within. God, we are continually fed the anointing of the Spirit, and we declare tonight our best days are not behind us. We bear fruit. We are fat and flourishing in a good way. Father, we give you thanks, we give you honor tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.